the deadline for WARC Awards for Effectiveness 2024 is fast approaching. You have until 6 February to enter your campaigns for our celebration of strategic brilliance and effective impact. With 12 categories and five new regions, this is our biggest award show yet. And the great news is that you just need to enter once for the chance to win in your region and be in line for the Global Grand Prix announced during Can Lions Week. I'm Rika Facundo, WARC's APAC editor, and I'm here to encourage you to head straight to WARC.com and submit your entry by the final deadline of February 6. This is your chance to win a Global WARC Grand Prix and truly claim your campaign is one of the most effective in the world. The WARC Awards 2024, Strategic Brilliance, Effective Impact. It's the award show you've been waiting for. Hello and welcome to the Walk Podcast. My name is David Tiltman and this week we're summarising some of the biggest talking points in marketing effectiveness over the past year with the help of Walk's crack team of editors. And today we are looking at the year in media. We'll be talking about some of the trends and ideas that have shaped the media industry over the last 12 months, uh, including Meta's remarkable resurgence as a, as a force in the global ad market, uh, the fragmentation of attention measurement, and then some important new thinking on reach. Now, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Alex Brownsell, who is head of content for Walk Media. Now, Alex, before we get into the details, what's been your view of this year in media? I think it's it's been a year of of two halves in in many senses, and and in part, I think if you look at the the, the start of the year and the lack of confidence that we saw in the economy, particularly, um, and and in the media industry as well, and and how that has changed over the course of the year. But of course, it hasn't been a consistent story across the media industry. Certain channels, retail media, for instance, have seen huge growth and expansion, while other parts of the business have have, have seen contraction. Channels like television, for instance. We've seen innovation in future technologies and AI targeting, something we'll talk about in in a moment, I'm sure. But at the same time, perhaps a sense of conservatism. Also, it's the same big players that are increasingly dominating the conversation. That that sense of of the empire striking back. Now uh, we're going to come on to talk to that. But the so the the ask of these podcasts is that you bring three big talking points from the past year, and and then we have a. Uh, have a have a talk through them and talk through where they might be heading into as we go into next year as well so so i think that concept of the empire strikes back that's very much part of the uh, uh of the first talking point isn't it so why don't you uh why don't you tee us up Yes. Well, let, let's talk about uh, the Walt Gardens and let's talk about Meta specifically. And, and Meta had a incredibly tricky 2022. It, you know, it will surely go down um, as the company's Anna's Horribilis. It was a um, year in which the strategy of the company was being questioned, that focus on virtual worlds and, and the metaverse. When you combine it with the US ad market slowdown as inflation was beginning to bite, we saw almost un- unthinkable um, five years ago, or even th- two or three years ago, we saw ad revenue dropped year on year by 1.1%. But 2023 has been a, a, a really different story. And there's no one reason for this, is there? So I mean, I think if we if we rewind a year, Meta was still all about the metaverse. Um, you know, it was, it, 
things changed. It became a year of efficiency. That's the internal thing. But there's other things going on as well. It's not just that they stopped talking about the metaverse and decided to stop splurging quite so much so much money. They did a couple of other things as well, didn't they? So talk us through those. Yeah, I think so. Well, this is it. The year of efficiency was sort of rhetoric that, that Mark Zuckerberg and the senior team were putting out into the market and that way of communicating with the investor community. But I think more importantly, what Meta had been doing behind the scenes is exploring AI and how AI could help them to supercharge that ad uh, business that had, had stuttered of late. Um, and one of the big consequences and, and, and outputs of that of that work has been a, a tool called Advantage Plus. Um, now, this is a, a AI tool. Um, it uses machine learning to inform things like campaign targeting. Um, so it, it's helped Meta to overcome some of that signal loss um, that the, the company had really suffered um, with following on from Apple's ATT policy. Um, and it has, it must be said, proven hugely, hugely popular with advertisers. Walk Media is forecasting that Meta will um, generate annual revenues of $130 billion this year. That's up 14.4% year on year. And we see that momentum continuing into next year, um, up 12.5% to $146 billion in ad revenues. Now, that point about uh, getting around Apple's ATT um, policy and, and the broader shift towards uh, uh, an internet with with less personal data uh, coming from it, that's really important, isn't it? Because the, the idea behind this is that you can get uh, through the use of uh, AI to interpret the, the data you do have, you can get more effective outcomes with less data. That's that's the idea behind this. And, and we're also seeing, uh, you know, Performance Max on YouTube, um, slightly different approach. But again, it's it's about it's about trying to maximize outcomes uh, in a in a in a in a world where there's less data. I think so. I think I think in a, in a in a marketplace where there's a degree of uncertainty at the moment about data. Obviously, we're, we're still in that phase of third-party de- uh, cookie deprecation. Um, we've seen a lot of regulation around data privacy, and then unilaterally, a, a a vendor, a company like Apple, can sort of totally rewrite the rules because it has such a stranglehold on the device market, particularly in America, particularly with affluent customers. By investing in these sorts of AI tools, and you know, I, I think that there's going to be a lot of discussion and debate over the next year or two about actually about how effective these black boxes are. Um, you know, what what is actually happening inside them? Um, agencies are scrambling really hard to try and decode what is happening inside Advantage Plus or, or Performance Max through things like A/B testing. But but what it enables Meta to do, and Alphabet and others, is to mitigate against the risk of the landscape changing, the situation changing, whether that's in terms of regulation, whether or not that's, in ter- that's in terms of another player in the market doing something that changes the the, the, the parameters, the rules of the game, um, and and you know, and, and in theory, um, adds a little bit of insurance for that ad market, uh, for that ad revenue. Sorry, going forward. Now, is it fair to say that Meta's outperforming some of its peers here, or at least some of the Meta platforms are? Because uh, this, this isn't just a sort of industry-wide rebound of the whole digital marketing sector it's or, or maybe it's on top of that meta does seem to be doing particularly well yeah it, it, it absolutely is i mean um we've certainly seen a a re-emphasis on investment in digital channels in performance media but meta seems to be doing 
better than others, perhaps slightly benefiting from favourable year-on-year comparisons because it did have a, a, a pretty bad 2022 as we've spoken about. But um, if you even compare it with with some of the sort of, you know, the, the more successful platforms, um, you know, the Alphabets and the Amazons, it does seem to be doing particularly well and doing particularly well from uh, a couple of places in particular. And one of those is um, the influx of investment from Chinese brands, Chinese advertisers, manufacturers that are targeting international audiences, in, you know, in the Americas, in Europe. Um, one of those um, that I'm sure is familiar to a lot of people listening is um, Timu, which is owned by Pinduoduo, spent $300 million launching its brand in the US in the first nine months of the year alone. Um, and over that same period, APAC-based brands spent 25% more on advertising on Meta platforms than they did a year ago. So I don't think it takes um, a, a wild leap to, to sort of put two and two together that, that that Meta is benefiting significantly from those Chinese brands, Chinese platforms trying to grow their business outside of the Chinese market where we know there has been some economic problems over the last year or so. This is actually something that Kate Scott Dawkins, who is Group M's Global President of Business Intelligence, um, discussed when she joined the Walk podcast uh, for an episode that we recorded back in August. Some of the current challenges in, in China and domestic demand there, certainly. Um, what we're seeing is almost a reverse correlation where uh, domestic demand soft in China. We're getting a lot of Chinese advertisers seeking growth in international markets. So a lot of uh, Chinese advertising money going abroad, targeting international audiences. Um, and I think that's going to help boost, uh, you know, ad growth in those other markets, including the US. So Meta is obviously a number of different uh, platforms. Um, is this rebound spread across them or, or are certain parts of the empire doing better? To, to a degree, but I think that Instagram is is the really big story here. Um, it's a platform that that we know um, is uh, resonates perhaps with a younger audience than Facebook. Um, it's obviously a more visual, more video led. Um, we're forecasting ad revenue growth for Instagram of twenty five point eight percent year on year in in this quarter, the fourth quarter, um, up sixteen percent uh, next year, which is the same pace of growth as we're forecasting for Amazon, which is obviously growing from a, a, a smaller place. So this, this is fantastically fast growth considering the scale of Instagram. Facebook is growing globally. Um, we are um, forecasting uh, 9% growth in 2023, but that growth is being driven by Facebook reaching, I guess, you know, um, emerging markets, um, you know, consumers that are maybe coming online in emerging markets rather than mature markets. And Facebook spend has actually been shrinking in the US since 2021. So Instagram is is really the, the growth engine for, for Meta these days. So in summary, then, uh, 2023 has been a year when those big digital players have got have got stronger and, and meta is probably the big winner there uh and not just in ads revenue terms but in its um stock market valuation as well um where does this leave the sort of playing field in terms of that the these sort of pure play digital giants you know where uh, what's the what's the overall pecking order uh in terms of where they stand well i, I don't think a huge amount has 
changed um, despite some of the turbulence we've seen. You know, search will continue to be the the biggest channel, although social media is is catching up. In terms of global share of spend, search will will account for 22% next year globally. Social media just behind it at 21.8%. But of course, um, within social media, there is um, significantly more competition than Google faces in the search uh, arena. Um, In terms of looking at social specifically, um, we see TikTok growing at a fair pace, but it is such a smaller concern really than than, than Meta. So um, we're not seeing a huge amount of change in the power dynamic there. Retail media, of course, is something that is changing the the power dynamic in digital media. Um, Amazon is growing, as I said, at a fair pace. Um, uh, and outside know, of China, uh, uh, most of retail media still is Amazon, even though there are lots of other players emerging. The, the I think it's something like 80% of the spend goes to Amazon, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It occupies about four fifths of the market that we've calculated outside of China, which is its its own sort of um, specific ecosystem. Um, and we don't see any evidence that, that Amazon will be particularly challenged on on share. So as long as the retail media um, market is growing up, which we do forecast continued double digit growth uh, over the next couple of years, um, Amazon will will continue to to take most of that growth, frankly, um, and and it is catching up with um, with Facebook. Um, Instagram is 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 keeping a lead on Amazon, um, and Instagram at current trajectory, probably twenty twenty five, we think will overtake Facebook and become the biggest um, social media network in the world by ad revenue. And what about the smaller players, uh, Snapchat, uh, Pinterest, and and of course X. Well, X, I mean, where do you begin? It's, you know, we, we've seen spend collapsing this year. Um, to be honest, it's, it's, it's a fraction of the size that it was pre the takeover by, by Elon Musk. Um, it's been a tricky year for the smaller platforms. Um, we've seen a bit of a recovery from Snap in the last quarter or so, um, Pinterest, um, I think, is we're, we're forecasting some reasonable growth for Pinterest, but these are from a much, much smaller scale. You know, we're talking a fraction of the size of Meta and and, and even um, you know TikTok and certainly Amazon these days as well. So um, it feels like uh, the, the the top players, the front runners, are just stretching their lead, and they're getting further and further away in terms of their dominance of the market. Okay, so let's move on to our second topic. And I think we look at attention measurement now. And I think, you know, we followed this very closely at Walk, the growth in the interest in attention measurement within media planning. 2023 has certainly been another big year in terms of enhancing our understanding of the role that attention plays in effective advertising. Um, however, we've also seen the growth of interest in attention by lots of new parties, and that's that's sort of creating multiple different views of what attention is, how you measure it, uh, and how you buy against it. So there's a lot going on in this space. Alex, what have, what have been the key highlights for you over the last 12 months? Yeah, it has been very busy in the attention space and and, and getting busier and, and getting noisier, frankly. Um, it, I think prior to the start of this year, it felt like we'd come through a process where attention had started to evolve from theory and sort of quasi-academic pursuit to, to more practical application, both at 
a agency and advertiser level and also some of the research that was coming out of out of the market and we're now at the point where the research is focusing on how attention can be used to make advertising more more effective as you say so really good example of this and and one i'd love to highlight is the research that was carried out by peter field rob Britton, and um, professor karen nelson field earlier this year um, analyzing the ability of a media platform to to amplify or undermine a campaign's creative strength and and crucially business results as well so this you know we've been following the work of particularly Karen, obviously, over the last few years. Um, Karen co-edited our first walk guide on attention a couple of years ago. Um, and some of our listeners will know that this particular bit of research ended up underpinning a, a fantastic session that we hosted uh, at Can Lion this summer, um, also including Orlando Wood from System One um, on the triple opportunity of attention. So um, rather than myself describe it all, um, here's a clip from a WOOC podcast earlier this year where Peterfield explained the rationale behind the study. What we wanted to do was to use this opportunity really to understand what's going on, because what Karen's research um, has taught us uh, brilliantly is that um, when you buy digital impressions, digital video impressions, you don't really know what you're buying. Um, And this has been a growing factor over many years. So the link between dollars spent and impact in market has been weakened and this was a great study it was a great opportunity a world first genuinely no hype here this is the first time it's been done where you look at the um, attention metrics which karen is collecting and you join them up with the in-market business effects from an effectiveness database the aca one in australia so it enabled us to dig a whole lot deeper and really understand and prove to those who are sceptical out there, and there are sceptics, of course, out there, but to prove that actually this is going on and why and how it is going on, that we really need to understand that each digital media um, has a different ability to drive effectiveness. And if we don't understand that, then you know we ain't ever going to be able to spend our dollars wisely. What I love about this talk, and indeed I know it built on work from the previous year by uh, Karen and Peterfield and um, uh, Orlando Wood from System One, is that it starts to bring the creative conversation and the media conversation closer together. And I think I think it's fair to say that uh, a lot of the attention debate or narrative is is focused on media, but actually when you're starting to talk about what what drives human attention the, you can't you can't lose sight of the the creative involvement in that yeah i i think that's absolutely right i think um media has has sort of hogged all of the interest and and that discussion started really um almost as a sort of course correction exercise for brands in avo- avoiding that sort of low attention media we're now shifting towards something much more all encompassing um, you know, we've seen, you know, on the media side, it, it's all relevant, it's all important. And, you know, we've seen those sort of, uh, you know, dozens of studies, frankly, commissioned by different platforms, publishers, showing how their channel or format delivers stronger attention. But there is, I think, a desire from the industry to progress beyond that, to look at 
the the impact of of creative as well um, and campaign development and and these variables, these levers that brands can pull, not just as a hygiene factor, not just as a sort of souped up viewability, but actually to to be more effective. Um, it's something that, that um, a company called Realize has done um, a lot of work in this area. Um, on uh, you know creative advantage, they found that creative has up to a sixty percent influence on results for the campaigns that it was monitoring. So we think we're going to see a lot more in this space next year. We've featured uh, specialists from companies like uh, Lumen, Amplified Intelligence, Realize, who you've just mentioned, and others on the Warp podcast. But we're seeing uh, attention become more of a buzzword with the ad tech community as well. So what what impact is that having? Yeah, I think it's a really major development. Um, to talk about Can Lion again, I think we were all struck by um, just the sheer number of companies of, of varying kinds, including ad tech vendors in, the, in their sort of nice yachts that were looking to get involved in the attention debate and, and particularly actually attention as a potential trading currency, which is interesting, which moves it on from some of the sort of measurement and, and, and planning areas that we've historically at Walk have, have written about attention. And look, I think it's good in a way that more, more people are, are getting involved in attention, that more people are taking it um, seriously. But I think there's there's also the potential for some concerns, depending on the companies, because they may take a very different you know, approach, one where attention becomes almost a sort of tick box factor in inventory selection. It's calculated using proxies rather than real human attention. Um, and even, you know, if we're looking at the sort of fragmentation of definitions where attention for ad tech becomes actually something more akin to, to engagement or a sort of vaguer metric. Yeah, it's kind of viewability 2.0, isn't it? Um, why is this happening, do you think? Um, but I mean, is it just people chasing the the money? In part, I mean, I think that there is a legitimate attempt here from certain players in the market to try and bridge that gap between the sort of, you know, laboratory conditions that you often need to kind of measure attention to do things like eye tracking research with those split second realities of of media training. And it is something that's happening in credible circles as well. I, I had a, recently had a conversation with a, with a big ad tech firm that's collaborating with a big agency network and a very credible attention measurement company on, on this very topic. And I think AI will inevitably have an impact in speeding up some of the data processing. But look, to, to your point, there's clearly some commercial opportunity here. Ad tech firms have, have realized that, you know, they've been focused on viewability for the last decade. Well, viewability is out now. Um, people realize that it's a pretty blunt and, and and not particularly helpful metric. Attention is has sort of the next kind of cab off the rank. And they're trying to, to mix my metaphors, jump on the bandwagon. So I, I think it's something that brands need to be aware of. They need to be careful of. So where do you think this is going to head in, in 2024 then? What what are the sort of big themes we should be looking out for? I think the one of the big things that we definitely will hear from is more on the definition front. So we know that the, the ARF um, bodies like that, I mean, the IAB presumably are looking at this as well, are going to come out with um, definitions for attention, which the the industry will will then obviously need to adhere to, to a degree. That will certainly help um, implement a baseline. Um, but, but I think it's going to be a pretty low bar realistically, because I think actually, you know, if viewability was hard to define, then, then gosh, try defining attention. Um, so I think that, that, that there's going to be work on, on the definition side. I think we will see brands, uh, try and incorporate attention into not just that hygiene factor, not just that sort of, 
eliminating errors and and actually try to start using um, attention as a means of improving campaigns and improving effectiveness. So we'll see a lot of research on that. We'll see a lot of collaborations with agencies and, and brands and research companies. I also think we will see more work on the currency front because if somebody is able to do this, to kind of create this sort of trading currency based on, on attention, then there's a lot of money to be made. I'm just skeptical that it's achievable in a highly fragmented market uh, in, in a way that takes into account the relative strengths of different channels. As, as we all know, attention in the context of television is different from attention in the context of a digital display format, for instance. So yeah, but but I, nonetheless, I think that we will see some innovation in that area. We've been saying for a few years now, pay attention to attention, and it feels like uh, that is definitely still going to be the case next year. So thank you very much. Okay, let's move on to the third and final theme from 2023. Uh, and it relates to one of our most listened to podcasts of the year. So Alex, tell us, tell us some more about it. So way back in the dim and distant past of January, uh, we hosted a podcast with Rich Kirk, who um, at the time was Chief Strategy Officer at Zenith in the UK, and Sam Diaz, who was Head of Data Sciences for Publicist Media, to discuss the changing role of reach in, in media planning. Now, Rich, who um, has subsequently joined uh, Essence Mediacom in the UK in, in another CSO role, Rich had a hunch that media fragmentation is causing that sort of historic link between reach and impact to break down. So he looked at data from Lesbonette and Peter Field from a few years ago, back in 2017. And Burnett and Field showed that reach and impact, and when we talk about impact, we're talking about changes in business success metrics, were really, really very strongly correlated, an R-square of 91%. So Zenith took that as a baseline and looked at 15 of its clients, and, and it just found a much weaker relationship. Um, in the case of, of one pet food brand uh, in the study, that correlation had basically vanished. The agency could only find an, an R-square of, of 9%. Now, this is really important, isn't it? Because we we often say that reach is the foundation of, uh, of, of sort of media effectiveness, it's a really core part of things like the Ehrenberg Bass model because reach is all about finding those light buyers or, or potential category buyers. So it, it feels quite significant. If, if that correlation is starting to break down, then why, why would that be happening? Yeah, I, well, I think, you know, following on from our discussion a moment ago on attention, um, I think it boils down to a very similar root cause, and that is not all impressions are equal. Um, you know, the impact of one point of reach in a given channel is going to be different to, to reach found in other channels, other platforms. Um, you know, as I said earlier, we we know that reach in a channel like TV has a higher worth than reach in, in lots of other touch points. And, and that is changing the way that media planners are looking at reach. And I, just to go back to our first point as well, I mean, is it a coincidence that we're finding this breakdown in the correlation as spend is moving into 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 a greater array of display uh, online display formats and away from uh, I guess what what you call traditional uh, display advertising? Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's completely true. I think um, what we're seeing is a 
is a, is a shift in 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 the fundamentals of of media planning. I mean, it sounds very dramatic, but I think that that's what's happening here. You know, media planners have have been brought up and they've been trained to understand the fundamentals of reach and frequency, um, and and some of the sort of golden rules in in those areas. We are seeing evidence that those rules are changing. I think media effectiveness um, in a fragmented marketplace in 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 the context where most spend is going to digital platforms requires processes that, that reflect that fragmentation, that reflect the the, the places that the brands are advertising in. Yeah, and that's important, isn't it? Because it's not just a case of good media, and I'm doing air quotes here, good media <laughs> versus bad media. It's that as as attention becomes more fragmented, then actually creating those reach strategies in the first place is becoming more and more difficult and assessing what is and isn't uh, a, a sort of a useful um, additional media and incremental reach is is becoming harder to uh, harder to achieve. So now the term that was used back in that podcast was right reach, uh, and they they developed that as a more representative metric. So just tell us a little bit about what right reach is and and how they got to that point. Yeah, I think so. It's um. It's a, a term that, that Zenith now uses to um, encompass three key factors. Attention being one of them, persistence being another, and that contextual relevance um, being the third uh, point. That, that, so when Zenith is putting together a media plan for its clients, it, it now looks at three, it asks three questions effectively. Can the media deliver high levels of eyes on attention? And we are talking primarily here about visual attention because I think uh, audio attention is a, is a whole can of worms we can look at another time. Um, is the content that the ad sits around, secondly, of sufficient quality to attract and retain the audience for a long period? So that's that persistence. And then finally, does the channel offer the opportunity to place an ad next to thematically relevant content or programming? So, so Zenith sort of takes those three factors and it models them and, and it um, gives it a, a score, which it calls the right reach score. And um, it basically started, uh, the agency started to sort of implement this to clients, media plans. And and here is Rich Kirk speaking on that podcast back in January to explain a little bit more. We had this problem and we had a lot of advertisers come into us sort of saying, well, how can we best lean into fragmentation to get the best results for our spend? Because we recognize that the genie's not going back in the bottle. Um, media isn't going to coalesce again into a, a very small handful of like massive homogenized spaces. And we felt that a quantitative approach was needed because what we observed was like media was changing so fast that um, if you were going to sort of approach it on anything except a quantitative basis, you could be sat down having a very, very long discussion about the merits of individual channels. And also the, the other thing is I think we – what Sam and I focused on was not trying to understand why these relationships were breaking down in detail, but we wanted to focus on could we predict business outcomes better? So the promise of this is better outcomes, presumably. So is that what they found? 
Yeah, I, th- and they did seem to find. I mean, they, so they they took that same group of, of fifteen brands, fifteen clients, um, and the right reach methodology versus traditional reach was was sort of frequently more than one hundred percent better at predicting the outcome of a weekly media plan. Um, in one case, where Zenith was trying to examine the link between advertising and incremental sales that that was found in in the brand's uh, marketing mix modeling, um, the strength of the link went from less than ten percent when using reach to sixty percent when using right reach. Now, look, we 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 can't get too carried away away because you know in all cases the R squared was still significantly lower than that that ninety one percent marker that Burnett and Field set out some years ago. But there are there are clear signs of progress. You know, we're, we're not going to get to a situation where um, uh, overnight where 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 brands can sort of, and, and their agencies can fully understand things, but um, we're, 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 we're moving in the right direction, seemingly. If you sort of zoom out here and look at the, the, the bigger picture, because this is, this is clearly a sort of Zenith play or Zenith, uh, you know, way of looking at, at the world, which is fine. But the, the bigger picture here, I guess, is that for media agencies or, or agencies, anyone trying to put together a sort of media uh, plan the way you look at reach is becoming a sort of source of competitive advantage like so that it's not like there's one way of looking at reach it's that the sort of different layers you can put around how you calculate things like reach and frequency it starts to become a uh a, you know a secret source and at a time when sheer brute scaled buying power is becoming less of an advantage for for some of the some of the media networks this is starting to become a sort of uh, i guess a, a a piece of ip or an intellectual sort of approach that um that in principle delivers better better results for the same uh, amount of spend so it's interesting just seeing how this conversation is developing firstly from a, a the, you know an almost like an academic effectiveness point of view but also just thinking about the relationship between brand and media agency and media agency and, and media owner that is really crucial there as well isn't it yeah completely i mean and rich uh, who by the way is is continuing to look at this and and will uh, in his new role at essence media common i think we'll have some research coming out early next year um, he, Rich was was absolutely uh, candid uh, that, that while he supports the, the the work that's been done, for instance, in attention measurement and and the work by people like Mike uh, Follett at Lumen and Karen Nelson Field, any sort of such model that's implemented into the system and becomes standardised, that's all great. But there's no advantage for any agency over another. So I think for media agents, as you say, spend increasingly seems to be going into the platforms, and a lot of that is is going directly. Um, to them that you know we have these these things like performance max advantage plus um as you say spend isn't necessarily um and, and managing spend isn't necessarily a huge advantage for for agencies anymore where they can really add value is to understand what's happening and to layer different metrics together to sort of build up that effectiveness picture zenith because of of this research being published were very candid about their processes i've no doubt that other agencies are working on similar but different uh, propositions for their clients and I th- you know i think it's going to become really really important for agencies as they sort of find a new role a new purpose um in this 
really, very frankly, it you know completely revolutionised media ecosystem. Um, it's you know the, the 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 media world is completely different to what it was even before the pandemic, and that's a challenge to, to agencies to, to to find a new purpose. I guess the final question is, why do you think this podcast resonated so well with our audience? I mean, you probably just answered the question, but this one really did. Uh, you know, I think it was either our first or second most listened to uh, episode of the whole year. So, wh- why do you think that was? Yeah, I, I think it goes to about what we've been talking about over the last few minutes. I think for for media planners, there's a real sense of introspection at the moment. I think there's a real sense of of questioning some of that classic training and and some of the fundamentals that their skill set and their career has been built on, and and trying to think now outside the box, trying to look at new methodologies. Um, and and I, you know, it's it's something that we want to continue to cover um, really closely at Walk and highlight in our in our coverage and, and, and in our podcast, of course, um, next year as well, because, um, there's, there's clearly a huge demand for new thinking in, in these sort of fundamental areas of, of media planning. Thank you, Alex. Well, that's all we've got time for, uh, for today. What we'll do is we'll put links to the different podcasts we've referenced into the show notes. So if you do want to go back and listen to some of those, uh, previous podcasts, then you can do, and one other thing just a flag coming up in january we will have a future of media reports coming out so if you want to know more about some of the uh sort of forward-looking guidance we're giving uh for the market then please do check that out when it comes okay that's all for today so if you like what you've heard please do subscribe to the walk podcast on your podcasting platform of choice and if you really liked it then please do leave us a review until next time thanks for listening